I uh, have a question for you. How many of you have ever heard of a lady named Fanny J. Crosby? Anybody? Few of you have heard of Fanny J. Crosby. Okay, so Fanny J. Crosby was a prolific hymn writer in the 19th century. In fact, she wrote over 9,000 hymns. 9,000 hymns. And, and this was back in, she was born in Putnam County, New York in 1820. And at the age of two months, about six weeks old, uh, she got really, really sick. And she had, uh, her, her doctor, her family doctor was out of town. And so uh, a man who was pretending to be a doctor came to her parents and said, well, what you need to do is you need to, to make this paste out of mustard and put it on her eyes. And that's what they did. And sure enough, her illness subsided, but the mustard paste left her blind, completely blind for the rest of her life. She wrote 9,000 hymns and she's completely blind. In, in fact, here's the thing, is that she would not let her blindness get her down. Uh, this is a poem she wrote at the age of eight. I love this. Oh, what a happy soul I am, although I cannot see. I am resolved that in this world contented I will be. How many blessings I enjoy that other people don't. To weep and sigh because I'm blind, I cannot and I won't. Eight years old. Eight-year-old kids today complain if they don't have a cell phone or an Xbox. And she's blind from, almost from birth. And yet she says, happy I will be, even though I cannot see. It's amazing. Um, so for 85 years, she spent in darkness, wrote 9,000 hymns. And, and many of them she had to use a pseudonym for. Because if, if she didn't, the entire hymnal, uh, the old hymnals would just be full of nothing but her songs. And she probably wrote maybe some of your favorite songs as well. Uh, anybody like the song, the old hymn, Blessed Assurance? Oh yeah, this is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. There's a great line in that song, by the way. It talks about how visions of rapture now burst on my sight. This is a lady who could see. Now while she could not see physically, she could see spiritually. She could see what was most important. She had light. Though her eyes were darkened, she had real light in her life. And sometimes I wonder if we, if we're not blind in different ways. We may not be physically blind, but there are ways that we can't see. Emotionally. Sometimes we're blinded emotionally. And, and we're blind to those people around us who are maybe going through a difficult situation or, or going through heartache and we just don't see it. Sometimes we're blinded emotionally to the people that we love, the people, the, the relationships that we have, the people in our lives who we care about, and we're just blinded to them. Sometimes we're blinded emotionally by our own despair or, or depression. And maybe that's where you are today. Maybe you feel depressed or you feel down and you just feel like there's no light in your life at all and you feel blinded emotionally maybe you feel blinded spiritually maybe you feel like you can't see spiritually maybe your life feels like there's no light in it at all and that everything is just dark and hopeless i hope my hope is that if, if you feel that way if you feel like there is no light if you feel like everything is dark if you feel like there is no hope i'm glad you're here today because I believe that this is a place where you will find hope. 
because this is a place where you will find Jesus and Jesus is hope and so I want to encourage you if you feel hopeless keep coming keep coming because you're going to find hope here and your life is going to change here your life is going to get better here I promise because Jesus is not going to give up on you and Jesus is light and he will shine his light into your life and make it so much better so what we're doing is we are going through a series on Sunday mornings and Saturday nights on our, for every weekend. We're going through this series called Jesus Is. And this is based on seven statements that Jesus made about himself in the book of John. The book of John, uh, or Gospel of John, is a biography uh, of Jesus written by one of his good friends and one of his followers named John. Now, the Gospel of John is different than the other three Gospels. There's four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are written from a different perspective and written for different reasons than the Gospel of John. And the book of John was written uh, to inspire belief, to inspire faith. And so John carefully selected different stories in order to prove that Jesus is who he said he is, the Son of God, the Messiah and Savior of the world. So, uh, in the Gospel of John, Jesus makes seven statements about himself, and they all begin with the words, I am. And so this series that we're going through is called Jesus Is, and we're filling in that blank of who Jesus said he is. So far, we've seen two of these statements that we've, that we've examined. Uh, the first one was uh, on Easter weekend. We talked about how Jesus is the resurrection and the life that Jesus not only raises the dead, which he did for his friend Lazarus, he brought him back to life after he had been dead four days. Jesus raised him back to life. Uh, but, and, and so we see that Jesus not only raises the dead, but he himself was raised from the dead. He is the very definition of resurrection. And then we looked last weekend uh, at this statement Jesus made about himself in John 14 where he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. And Jesus is the only way to be forgiven and saved. He's the only path to salvation. He's the only path to forgiveness from God. He's the only road. He's the only way. And there's no other way to get to God except through Jesus Christ. And that's what Jesus said about himself. And if you'll put your faith and trust in Jesus by believing in him, repenting from your sins, confessing your faith and getting baptized, you will find the way to where you want to be. And that is through Jesus Christ alone. So uh, we've looked at these two statements. Today we're going to look at a third one. Now I told you a couple weeks ago that the word life appears 41 times in the English translation of the Bible. 41 times the word life appears in the book of John. And so that's, that's a lot. And in fact, that's more than the other three gospel writers combined. And then last week we saw how the word truth appears 23 times in the gospel of John. So we have life, we have truth, and today we're going to talk about light. And the word light appears 16 times in the gospel of John, uh, in the English translation of the gospel of John. So 16 times the word light appears. And here's a couple of them. Uh, one of them is in John chapter 1, verses 4 through 9. This is where some, uh, the word light appears. It says, In him was life, in Jesus was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. Now, just so you know, the concept of light in the Gospel of John is typically associated with Jesus, and the, co the, the concept of darkness is typically associated with sin. So you have darkness 
uh, usually equating to sin and light equating to Jesus. And so that's why he says the darkness is not understood. It's sin does not understand the light of Christ. Verse 5, uh, verse 6. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. That's John the Baptist, one of Jesus' relatives. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all men might believe. He himself, John, was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. So he's talking about Jesus, and Jesus is the true light, and Jesus was coming into the world. In John chapter 3, verses 19 through 21, Jesus has a conversation with a Pharisee named Nicodemus. And this is what he says. Jesus says to Nicodemus, This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. And then hundreds of years before Jesus came on the scene in the book of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah wrote this in chapter 9, verse 2. He says, the people walking in darkness, he's talking about the coming of Jesus, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And that light is Jesus. So we see, you know, throughout the Bible that the light is associated with Jesus. Uh, and Jesus is the true light, the light of the world. And we're going to talk about that for about the next 15 minutes or so. Now, I want to set the stage for you where we are in John chapter 8. Uh, John eight twelve is our verse for the day. Uh, it's on page 757 of the Bible in the chair in front of you. If you didn't bring a Bible, you can grab one out of the chair in front of you and follow along. Or if you did bring one, uh, I don't know what page it's on in your Bible, but you'll have to look it up yourself. Uh, so John chapter 8, verse 12 is where we are. And I want to set the scene uh, where we are in John chapter 7 that leads into John chapter 8. In John chapter 7, Jesus is at a feast. Now, there were three main feasts, uh, pilgrimage feasts, that all Jewish men had to attend every year in Jerusalem. The first was Passover. How many of you have heard of Passover? All right, pretty much everybody's heard of Passover. It is the feast that commemorated uh, the uh, journey, the exodus out of Egypt when Israel was slaves uh, in Egypt. So the, the Passover... Um, uh, celebrated and commemorated when God set his people free uh, from bondage and slavery in Egypt. So that's Passover. The, the second feast uh, is the Feast of Pentecost. And the Feast of Pentecost uh, was a, a feast that took place 50 days after Passover. So about seven weeks after Passover. So you would go to Jerusalem for Passover, go back home, turn around seven weeks later, and come back to Jerusalem for Pentecost. And Pentecost was a harvest festival it was a time to celebrate the harvest that God had brought in the fields. And then the third feast was the Feast of Tabernacles or Booths. And this was a feast that celebrated and remembered the wilderness wanderings of the Israelites. Now when the Israelites came out of Egypt, they wandered in the desert for 40 years on their way to the Promised Land. Uh, and, and so it makes you wonder uh, if, if uh, you know, if, why didn't anybody stop and ask for directions? You know, it's like 40 years. No, it's because the people sinned against God. And he said, this generation is going to die off before, this, before you will enter into the promised land. And sure enough, that's what happened. But so they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And they slept in little tents or tabernacles or booths. And they slept in these tents uh, during that time. And what this feast celebrated was not them sleeping in tents, but the way God provided for them while they were in the wilderness. He provided manna and quail uh, and water. Uh, he took care, took care of all of their needs 
while they were wandering in the wilderness. And so the festival of Pentecost, or the festival of Tabernacles, was a way to remember how God had provided for them in their time of need. And so this Feast of Tabernacles takes place about six months after Passover. And this is the feast where Jesus is in John chapter 7. It's the Feast of Tabernacles. So he's at the Feast of Tabernacles. He's talking about himself and telling people who he is. He's teaching at the feast. Uh, and and the, uh, the leaders of Israel, the Jewish religious leaders, think that he's crazy. Because he starts talking about how they're trying to kill him. And they're like, you're nuts. We're not trying to kill you. You're, you're demon-possessed. They were calling Jesus demon-possessed. He says, nope. And then he gets up uh, uh, in John chapter 7, verse 37. Check this out. It says, on the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. Now what's interesting about this verse is that there's something that happens during the Feast of Tabernacles that, they would have, that, that the people then would have understood that we don't see. And what it was is that there was a golden jug, like a golden pitcher. And they would go every day, once a day, to this pool in Jerusalem, the Pool of Siloam. And they would take this golden pitcher and they would draw water out of this pool. And they would go through the streets of Jerusalem to the temple and then when they went to the temple, they would take uh, the water and they would pour it over the altar. And they did this once a day. And so what Jesus is saying, I love this imagery. He's saying that, look, that water in that pool, that's going to dry up someday. And that water that you pour on the altar, that's going to be gone. But if you want living water, if you want real water that will satisfy your soul and satisfy your thirsty life, if you want real water, you've got to come to me. And John makes this little note in verse 39 of chapter 7 when he says, By this he meant the Spirit, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, whom those who believed in him later were, to were to later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. And so when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you get baptized, as it says in Acts 2.38, and the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within you. The Holy Spirit comes and lives in you and fills you with living water and changes your life and quenches every thirst that you have. This is the living water Jesus was talking about. And like I said, if you just kind of read through it, you think, oh, that's nice, Jesus is living water. No, the people then would have understood, oh, I get it. The jug of water, the golden jug, yeah, I get it. Jesus is saying that water's going to run out and that water's going to run dry, but I will never run dry. So Jesus, uh, then we, we uh, come to John chapter 8, and in John 8, verses 1 through 11, or actually 7:53 through 8:11, a story takes place. It's a very well-known story about a woman who is caught, caught in adultery. But you, you may notice in your Bible that there's a little note that says, the earliest manuscripts and many other ancient witnesses do not have John 7:53 through 8:11. And so in the oldest manuscripts of the Gospel of John, this story does not occur. It's not in there. It was added later at some point. That doesn't necessarily mean that it didn't happen. And it doesn't mean that it's not scriptural because it really does sound a lot like Jesus. It, it just doesn't take place at this time in this Gospel of John. Uh, because the Gospel of John, the, the language, the way that John writes, 
this story doesn't match up with the way he writes. It uses vocabulary that he never uses elsewhere in the Gospel of John. And so the thought is is that it may have been, it's a story that actually took place, uh, but it may have been uh, taken, it may have taken place at a different point in time, or it may have taken, it may have been written about in a different Gospel. Some people think it may have been left out of the Gospel of Luke. And so I, I don't want you to, uh, to get, you know, uh, confused over what that means when you come across that phrase that says the earliest manuscripts don't have this story in it. It's a story that the ancient church believed and the ancient church taught uh, as, as being true. And so I believe that it is true and I believe it actually happened. I just don't think it happened at this point. And the reason is John eight twelve Because at the end of John 7, we see that Jesus is in Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles. He gets up and speaks. And then look at verse 12 of John 8. John 8 says when Jesus spoke again to the people he said I am the light of the world whoever follows me will never walk in darkness but will have the light of life I am the light of the world Jesus says now remember the story about the golden jug the golden pitcher right and, and you can't see that reading it in our Bible but the people would have recognized it and understood what he was talking about. Something very similar happens here when Jesus says, I am the light of the world. At the end of the Feast of Tabernacles, on the last day, uh, after sunset, when it got dark, there were four large candlestick torches in the court of women in the temple. These four huge candles and torches. And what they would do is they would light them. They would set them on fire. Uh, and it is said by scholars and ancient historians that the light from these torches could be seen all throughout Jerusalem. That they were so bright that they could be seen throughout the entire city. These giant torches in the court of women. And I love the fact that this is towards the end of the day and Jesus says, you see those lights that light up this city? That ain't nothing, baby. Because I am the light of the world. I'm not the light of this city. I'm not even the light of this nation. I am the light of the world. And if you're walking in darkness, you need me. Because I will light the way. Because I am the light of the world. And I will give you light and life. So, what does this mean for us? You know, we don't have the big torches. We don't have the golden pitcher. You know, what does this mean for us? Well, I want to talk to two groups of people real quick for about maybe five, six minutes. I just want to talk to two different groups of people. Uh, if you're not walking in the light yet, if you, if you haven't put your faith and trust in Jesus yet, if you're not following Jesus yet, want you to know with us, that's fine for right now. That's okay for right now. We want you to keep coming, keep learning about who Jesus is, and, and keep uh, interacting with other Christians, with, with people who are following Jesus, because the more, you, uh, the more you come and the more you investigate and the more you ask questions, uh, the, the closer you're going to get to finding out who Jesus is. And when you find out who Jesus is, he is going to change your life. And, in, and I mean in the best way possible. Jesus is going to give you hope and he is going to give you life and he is going to give you purpose. He is going to make life mean uh, more than it ever has before. Jesus will change your life in the best way possible. And when he says that he is the light of the world, he wants to shine his light into the dark places of your life. And so when I was talking earlier about maybe being emotionally blinded or being spiritually blinded, this is no fun being in the dark. It's no fun being in the dark. When, when you're stubbing your toe, <laughs> when you're stepping on a Lego, you know, maybe you're stepping on a spiritual Lego 
Or maybe you're stubbing, stubbing your emotional toes in the dark. And Jesus wants to shine his light into your life so that you can see like you've never seen before. Now here's the problem. Is that when Jesus starts shining his light into your life, it can be kind of painful. Have you ever been in a deep sleep? Like sleeping, like really good sleep. Like really good dreams, you know, like vivid dreams. Like wonderful dreams, like another White Sox World Series championship. Yes, you know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about? Somebody in the first service said, uh, oh, you mean Cubs. It's like, no, 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 no. no. That's a nightmare. Um, you know, what's another 108 years, right? That's, that's some Rumpelstiltskin dream right there. Or, uh, what's his name? Anyway. Um, anyway. Rip Van Winkle, that's it. That's the guy dreaming for 108 years. Um, but in, in all seriousness, you know, you're sleeping, you get deep sleep, sweet dreams, everything. And all of a sudden, somebody, we'll, we'll call her mom, comes in the room and flips on the light switch, right? Isn't that like one of the worst things ever? That light switch comes on, you're in the middle of a sweet, it's like, oh man, that hurts so bad. For me, it's the fan. It's when the fan goes off. That's the worst sound in the world, is the sound of the fan going off. I will be in, a, in a, just the dead of sleep, and, and the power will go out, and the fan will go off, and I, I will pop. What happened? Why did the fan go off? I've taught my son to do the same thing. I go in to wake him up in the morning, like my mom used to wake me up. I turn the fan off, and immediately he pops up. He's like, what time is it? <laughs> he wants to know if it's after 6.30 so he can use his phone. <laughs> That's the only reason he wants to know. Uh, but uh, not breakfast and definitely not going to school. Is, is it after 6.30 so I can use my phone? Um, but when Jesus shines the light, if you've been in the darkness for any amount of time, if you've been in the darkness and Jesus shines his light into your life, you are, it's going to hurt. Because he is going to expose things in your life that you may not want exposed. He's going, to expose, he's going to help you see things that you don't want to deal with and that you don't want to see. And it may be that relationship in your heart that you just, you don't want to forgive that person and you don't want to let go of that bitterness and you don't want to let go of that resentment. You don't want to let go of that grudge. And Jesus is going to show you that you need to do that. You need to forgive. Or it may be that sin, that struggle, that sin of yours that you just can't let go of and that you are struggling with. And it's like, and Jesus is going to show you that's a sin and you got to deal with it. You need to repent from it. You need to turn to me for help to deal with it. And so there are those things in our lives that are in the darkness that we don't want to deal with. And Jesus is going to shine his light. And it may hurt for a little bit. But once you get it out in the open and once you deal with it, it's going to feel a whole lot better than hiding it in the darkness. Now, if you are a follower, a follower of Christ, if you are a Christian, I want to talk to you for just a minute. And I want to talk to you about the importance of reflecting, of accurately reflecting the light of Jesus. Now, if you know anything about astronomy, you know that the moon is not a source of light, that all the moon does is reflect the light of the S-U-N, right? The moon reflects the light of the S-U-N. As Christians, as followers of Jesus, we need to reflect the light of the S-O-N. We need to be like the moon and shine Jesus' light and reflect his light. But we need to do so accurately have you ever like used a mirror and like uh, you know somebody like uh, for example you're in the car and and uh, uh the sunlight will hit your mirror and, and it like blinds you for just a second i know too many christians who are kind of like that mirror instead of like the moon 
where they are just blinding people with their faith, where they're blinding people uh, instead of shining Jesus' light accurately. I was like this. Back in college, I had a girlfriend who I really cared about. And when I started to take my faith really, really seriously, well, uh, I, I really started to, I, 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 miss, I, I didn't shine the light of Jesus like I should. I, I was blinding, and I hurt her, and I hurt her feelings. And a couple of years ago, I reached out to her on Facebook and said, you know what, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the way that I, I treated you, and I'm sorry for the way that I, I represented Christ. Because it wasn't an accurate representation of Jesus. And it wasn't an accurate representation of his light. Because his light is going to shine in the darkness, but it's not going to blind you. His light is going to shine in the darkness, and it's going to help you to find your way. And she was receptive uh, to, uh, to my apology, and she thanked me for, for apologizing and, and reaching out to her in that way. And so maybe there's someone in your life that you have been shining. You, you think, you know, I'm shining the light of Jesus. And sure, they're offended and they don't like it or anything. Maybe it's time to dial it back just a, just a little bit and reflect like the moon instead of reflecting like a mirror. Does that make sense? So I want you to reach out to that person, that one that you, that you know what you said, you know, I, I think I hurt them more than I helped them. And I want you to, to reach out to them and say, you know what, I'm sorry, because I, I haven't been accurately representing my Savior. Because he wants to help you and not hurt you. He wants to help you find your way, and he wants to light the path so that you can find your way. And so if you'll do that, I, I think you'll find a, a restoration of a relationship. And so my encouragement to you today is to reflect the light of the S-O-N like the moon and not necessarily like a mirror that may blind somebody, but instead let the light shine off of you so that it may point someone to the way. <clears throat> now I want to tell you one last story about Fanny J. Crosby. I think it is a great pity that the master did not give you sight when he showered so many other gifts upon you, remarked one well-meaning preacher. <laughs> Idiots. <coughs> Preachers. Fanny Crosby responded at once, as she had heard such comments before. Do you know that if at birth I had been able to make one petition, it would have been that I was born blind, said the poet, who had been able to see only for the first six weeks of her life. Because when I get to heaven... I, the first face that shall ever gladden my sight will be that of my Savior. And that is perspective. That is being able to see even though she was blind. And so if you feel like you are walking in the, blind, in the darkness and if you feel like you are spiritually blinded or emotionally blinded, I want you to know that there is light out there that will help you see and will give you life like you've never known. And his name is Jesus.